Uh, last week we started a series called Deconverting, and uh, honestly, I'm kind of excited about this. It's, uh, it's, it's, well, so if you're new to Into One or if you just weren't here last week, you didn't get the beginning, so let me just bring you up to speed. Each week is designed to fit together as a whole, and the whole is the whole series, and they work together, and they fit together, but they're not necessarily what you would call complete or, or standalones. They are designed to go together. So last week and this week are sort of uh, functioning as an introduction to the big plan, and the big plan, the purpose of this series is to address the situation of, of a growing number of people. Uh, there are many people who are uh, migrating away from religion, from Christianity, from faith, from God, in our country and across most of the Western world. We know that. We understand what's going on. And I'm just convinced that so much of it is unnecessary. And, and so if that's you, if that's where you feel, then this is for you. We're, uh, we're talking to you. You don't need to walk away from faith. At least give Christianity another look. So I, I don't think that any of us would argue that uh, there are certain things about theism, about God, about Christianity that uh, really are kind of unsettling. And that's why I also believe that it totally makes sense that at different seasons in your life, we have, we experience doubt. We have doubts. And I don't think doubt is bad. I think it's necessary. And on the other hand, there is something about a, a godless universe that uh, everything is reduced down to the laws of physics and biology and chemistry that is also unsettling. So, so more and more people, I think, are, are stuck in that middle. When it comes to Christianity, to, to theism, you say, well, you know what, I've got, I just got doubts. I don't know how it all fits together. But when I think about uh, stepping over into the world of atheism, well, that's not appealing either. That kind of leaves me with a nagging sense of despair. And so I'm caught in the middle. Do I want to opt for despair? There's no purpose. There's no meaning. Just physics, chemistry, biology. And on the other side, it feels like doubt. I don't, I don't know. So what do I do? And more and more people are lodged in this gap. So have you lost faith? Are you surrounded by doubt? Don't worry. All right? Don't be embarrassed. Um, this has been happening since the beginning of the world. Humanity has been disbelieving in God since the beginning. And once upon a time, the most sophisticated civilization on earth worshipped the sun. And then some centuries later, the most sophisticated civilization in the world worshipped Zeus. And, and then in the Roman Empire, uh, they worshipped Jupiter. And, and now, there aren't all that many people who worship the sun. They gave up on that God. Most people gave up believing in Zeus and Mars and Jupiter. People quit believing in God or gods all the time. And you know who sums this up really well? Richard Dawkins. He writes, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one God further. Atheists. They disbelieve in all the gods. But here's something interesting. Early Christians, the first century Christians, the, 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 the Bible times kind of Christians, were considered atheists. Why? Because they didn't believe in the Roman pantheon of gods. They didn't believe in Jupiter. 
They didn't worship Mars. They no longer worshiped the gods, their neighbors would say. They didn't embrace the deified Caesars. So they were considered atheists. But Christians had a message that they would send back to their neighbors and they would say, no, no, no. You've got the wrong God. We're not atheists. We believe in God. We just believe in a different God. And we think that you pagans have the wrong God. And I think that that tension still persists today. All of the deconversion stories that I have come across, they just don't seem to have much to do with Christianity. There's lots of stories for stepping away from Christianity. And they are not happy stories. But part of what makes them extra unhappy is that they seem to be so avoidable. There's a misunderstanding happening. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a translation error. It makes you want to say, like, you know, wait a minute. Who told you that God is like that? Where did you get that picture? Maybe you have the wrong God. And maybe this is a case of mistaken identity. Maybe we're dealing with identity theft here. So deconverting from Christianity has a number of versions. Maybe one of these versions is yours, or you, you can remember it, you've seen it, you've experienced it somewhere. You grow up in a religious environment, not necessarily Christianity, any sort of religious environment, and you've experienced some sort of childhood conversion, some sort of connection at that time. And then you transitioned to an irreligious environment, like college, or your family moved, there's new neighbors around, you changed your group of friends, and you liked it, right? A lot. You liked it better. And then you began asking adult questions about your childhood faith. In response, you receive faith-based answers to fact-based questions. Until one day it dawned on you, I just don't believe anymore. This is such an important experience because belief is such a strange thing. You either believe or you don't. You can't just say, well, I changed my mind. Mm, I decided to start believing. It's not that simple, is it? I mean, you can go to church, but that doesn't mean you believe anything. You can, you can stop going to church, and that doesn't mean that you've stopped believing. You don't know exactly when it happened. You're not even sure why it happened. It just kind of suddenly dawns on you. I don't believe anymore. And maybe your story is a little bit different than the one I just gave you. Maybe your story hinges on something that happened, right? So your story may go more like this. It's um, you were uh, growing up in, in this religious environment. You experienced some sort of childhood conversion. Then you experienced a faith-crushing or faith-devastating event. It just wipes out your faith. And then you begin asking adult questions again of your childhood faith. And when you asked those questions, you received faith-based answers to fact-based based questions. And maybe your response was the same as one blogger who wrote, one day it dawned on me, I couldn't believe anymore. I wanted to believe, but I no longer knew how. I no longer knew how to reconcile the God I grew up with 
to the reality of my life. I could not reconcile the God I was introduced to in my childhood with the reality that I was living in. I could not deny reality, and so I could not keep believing. The interesting thing uh, about the variety of the deconversion stories is that they are so unique and similar at the same time. Perhaps your story is more of a hybrid. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment, you experienced a childhood conversion, you didn't have anything bad happen to you. You didn't move away, you didn't go off to college, there wasn't that kind of a thing. You just might be one of those people who just began asking questions. And your parents, they couldn't really answer your questions. Your pastor, well, maybe you never even bothered to talk to them. Or maybe you did, and they didn't really help. They didn't give you satisfactory answers either. And you might have just thought your way away from Christianity. I used to be one of those people. Right? But, but regardless of what your story is, here is something that I've discovered. Right? There are versions of Christianity that most people deconvert from, and they share two characteristics. The place you grew up, the way you grew up, that is a version, all right? Your version may have been uh, super fundamentalist, or it might have been ultra-liberal. Um, perhaps it was uh, charismatic. Uh, maybe it was liturgical. Maybe it was Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Anglican. Whatever it might be, these are all different versions. Everyone who steps away, let's be honest, okay, Everyone who steps away, steps away from a version of Christianity. They step away from the version that they grew up in. The version that they were a part of. You step away from a version. And I think that the versions that people step away from all share two characteristics. A somebody tells me so God, and a Bible tells me so Jesus. This is just, here's how God was presented, right? Here's what they said. This is what the Bible says about God. That's my picture of God. And when I stepped away, that's who I stepped away from. Or a Bible tells me so Jesus. Uh, every time I ask a question, the answer is, well, the Bible says. Um, but, but what about, tell me more about this? Well, let me tell you what the Bible teaches. And, and, but then you're looking around and you're thinking, my reality doesn't translate into Bible. All right? How do I make these two things go together? I don't understand. And, and these two characteristics appear in basically every story of someone deconverting and walking away from Christianity. Today I'm going to talk about the somebody told me so God. Um, next time, we're going we're to mess with your mind a little bit as we talk about the uh, Bible tells me so Jesus. Today, somebody told me so God. You grew up in an environment where you believed what you were told, right? You believed what your pastor said. You believed what your priest uh, offered you, what your parents tried to train you. They, they explained it to you, and you said, mm, okay, sounds good, right? And author Karen Armstrong, in her, uh, in her book, The Case for God, she describes this quite well. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time as we were told 
about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. And not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God that we had inherited and denied that he existed. To some degree or another, that is all of our experience. Because most of us were presented with a concept of God when we were young. So for the next few moments, I want to talk about the gods that we grew up with, right? The gods that we grew up with that do not exist. And you should not believe in them anymore. The gods that we grew up with that perhaps you have walked away from, the version of God that you're walking away from, and you should have walked away from that God because that God doesn't exist. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a God who does exist. Here we go. Our growing up gods. First one, bodyguard God. In our growing up, we were told that God takes care of you, that God loves you, so he won't let bad things happen to good people. Then you get older, and you see life And you see really, really bad things happen to some really, really good people. And that experience can just undercut and undermine your faith. And so you drift in and out of faith and you struggle with this bodyguard God. And you struggle because to believe in that God, clearly there is no bodyguard God. Because bad things happen to good people all the time. But this is a big problem. It's a really popular one, and many, many very bright people have abandoned God over personal pain and suffering, or pain and suffering in the world. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book, the whole thing about it, called The Problem of Pain, and this is a really big one, and so we're going to give an entire week in our series to this, but not today. Today is the uh, super quick blink and move on. Um, This is the God that many people uh, grew up believing in, and then bam, bam, boom, bad things happen to good people. And they've lost their faith in God. This is a leftover from childhood. This is a classic argument against God. It comes up almost every single time. But no one has ever made this argument. A good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people. Since... Bad things never happen to good people. There must be a good God. No one, no one, no one has ever made that argument. That is not now, nor has it ever been an argument for the existence of God. So consequently, when we turn it around um, and, and put the whole bad things happening to good people, when we throw that up against God and say, that proves it. There is no God. Because bad things happen to good people. The assumption there is that somebody told you, or or, or somewhere along the way, God claimed that he would never allow bad things to happen to good people. That is not an argument for or against God. That is something that someone told you. And on the surface, 
you want to say, well, it sounds like it makes sense, but this is certainly not an argument, not a Christian argument for God. In fact, Christianity actually started when a horrible thing happened to a very good person. If at any point along the way in Christianity, if we had ever taught or presented the idea that um, God as a God who would never allow bad things to happen to good people, Christianity would never have made it out of the first century. Because all of the best people in Christianity, in that first century Christianity, all the heroes of the Christian faith, all of them were treated terribly by the first century Roman Empire and by the temple. That's just a little Christian backstory there. The idea that a good God who allows bad things to happen to good people can't exist? I don't know where you got that. You did not get that from Christianity. And no one I have ever heard of has ever based a case for God on a lack of evil in the world. So here's the point. If you lost your faith in bodyguard God, good. Bodyguard God does not exist. But I know that that whole concept, um, the God who would protect you from bad things, it was, it was the defining characteristic perhaps when you were growing up. Maybe in your experience, that was the hinge. That was the way everything was supposed to work. God will protect good people from bad things. And then you saw bad things happen to good people. Maybe you were the good person that bad things happened to. And I think that maybe you had the wrong God. Now close to, uh, similar to bodyguard guard, bodyguard God is on-demand God. We kind of laugh about this one. But you wish God was this way. And you still treat God this way a lot of the time. And your faith can even be a little bit shaken when God doesn't act on demand. On-demand God is the God who responds to fair and selfless requests the way we would. Fair requests, right? You know, I'm not asking for everything, just this thing. I'm not looking to change the world. I'm just looking for a date, right? I'm not even asking for a date for me. I'm asking for my son. He's a nice boy. Or my granddaughter. Oh, she is such a good girl. Just give her a date, right? On-demand God is a lot about us. We expect God to do at least what we would do for somebody. The belief that God would answer my prayer, not a selfish prayer, you know, a good prayer, if there is a personal God and I need something, then God should do what I need. God should do what I want. But that's not our experience. And you asked, and you heard nothing. And maybe you asked for a sign. Maybe you prayed for a miracle, and you received nothing. So you decided, therefore, there must not be a God. And you're right. On-demand God does not exist. It is okay to stop believing in on-demand God. So here's the question again. Who told, who told you that God always responds the way you expect? 
Who told you that God is supposed to or is under some obligation to or, or, or has to respond in the way that you expect him to respond? Where did that come from? That's a somebody told you so God. And that God obviously doesn't exist. And the truth is, I'm glad that that God doesn't exist because there have been so many prayers that I have made over the years that I'm really glad that God did not fulfill. If God had done for me what I had God asked God to do, my life would be a wreck. And then just think about poor Brad Pitt. Just think about how many wives he would have if God answered every prayer that people prayed. <laughs> Speaking of Brad Pitt, the next God is boyfriend God. And it could also have been uh, girlfriend God, but the, the point would be the same. But the boyfriend God just worked better with the Brad Pitt side. So boyfriend God is the God whose presence is always felt. And I can always sense the presence of God. And if God is with me, I can feel that. And if you've had some God experience in your past, you can look back on those special moments. And you go, oh, God moments, right? Spiritually connected times. Great moments in church when it just, hmm. And, and, and great moments in prayer together. And we felt there was something there. And there was worship moments. We go, oh, that was, God was there. And I really felt God today. And I, I really need to do that again because I connected with God um, at that place or, or with that person. Or when I listened to that song, God was there. And then there's some space. And now it's more God I want to feel your presence. And sometimes you pray, you read scripture, you go to church, it's all kind of flat. You know what, pastor didn't even use Bible verses for two weeks in a row at church. And I'm in church, and, and that, that person over there, they're all like hands up and connecting, and I'm like six feet away, and I'm feeling nothing, right? Not even a little bit. I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. Even when I start to raise my hands just a little bit, just to see, just to see if that's going to make it happen, just to test, nothing. But God never told us. No, God did tell us that he would never leave us, right? Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But I don't feel your presence. And then we do some bad math. If I don't feel God's presence, then he must not be present. But said who? Do you know that you are least aware of the things that are constant? When you're sitting in a room and the temperature is just perfect, you have never turned to someone to say, isn't the temperature in here just perfect? You never say that, right? None of you woke up this morning and said, oh man, do I feel like a Canadian. These things that are the most constant are the things that you're the least aware of. But where did you get the idea that you were to constantly feel or experience the presence of God? Did somebody tell you that? Who set that expectation for you? And then you go for a week or, or a month or a long time and you sense nothing. Do you know who had a similar story to that? Mother Teresa. After she died, her confessor explained to the world that she continually uh, kept working away 
even though she felt nothing from God for long periods of time. It happens. Next is the God that we run away from the quickest. What we just can't seem to get away from in our minds. It takes the longest to disconnect from. This God chases us through our adulthood. This is the God that we want, want, want to quit believing in, but somehow this God just haunts us. Very few people are ever able to say, uh, just get to the place where they can go, I don't believe in God anymore, specifically this part of God. I don't believe in this God that we're talking about. And that is guilt God. The God, guilt God controls you through guilt and through fear. If it is enjoyable, the answer is no. If it is sexual, the answer is double no. No, no. This God loves you, but he does not like you very much. And as soon as we get away from the guilt God environment, we run, right? But even though we get away from the guilt God environment, there is something about it that just sticks to us. And we can't run away from it. It just comes with us whenever we run. Who told you about that God? Where did that come from? This is a somebody told me so God. And this next one has had people in trouble on and off for centuries. This is the anti-science God. This is, where God, your short, this is the God where you're forced to choose between um, undeniable science and unreliable religion. Who told you that science and religion are diametrically opposed and that they are always at war? Who told you that you must believe in science or religion? But you know what? A religion is always, is always changing and adjusting. And, well, science is always changing and adjusting, and I, I can't resolve the tension. So I just have to go with what we know. And we know science, so that's where I'm going. We also have a tendency to officially study science, but most people only ever hear about religion. They don't study it. They don't research. You know, we had to study this, science, and they said that was bad, religion. But I never studied that, religion. I just hear about it. So I guess that there's really no good reason to believe. I, I, I guess that the, these two things, science and religion, are mutually exclusive. And somewhere maybe you grew up with the message that said, quit believing, or quit thinking and start believing. Quit asking so many questions and just believe. Right? We have some time allocated in, in the future to belief and believing. But let me just say quickly, uh, Christianity is not based on believing. It is not just something we believe that is not true. We become a Christian through faith, but we are not Christians just because we believe something. If you grew up with that kind of a faith, no wonder you walked away. And Richard Dawkins nails this for us again when he says, one of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. We don't have to know. Just believe. Your Sunday school God probably cannot be reconciled with science. I understand that. That is also partially why we're doing this series. We need to fix that up. We need to update. We need to teach some further grade levels 
of understanding God. But there's some good news. God or science is a false alternative. And we know this inside. We know this through the way that we actually live. When your kid gets really, really sick, where do you take them? Church? No, we take them to the doctor, right? You go to the doctor and she says, I'm going to take some blood samples. And you go, we're going to run some tests, right? When we're done, we get the results, we'll call you. And so we go home. And we, we, we tell our friends, and our friends are all praying, but we're sitting by the phone. And you get that call. The tests are back. And after studying those results, this is what the doctor says, after studying those results, we believe that God is really trying to teach you something. It's not what a doctor says. In that situation, we want a natural explanation and a natural solution. Tell me what is wrong, then tell me what I can do. When it comes to illness, we are all about science. If you've ever felt forced out of Christianity because you learned in school uh, in, in chemistry or physics or math or biology and it just seemed to be in conflict, I'm so sorry that you were forced to choose. I'm so sorry that someone presented to you the anti-science God. Because what Christians have historically believed is that our God is the one who created this world. Everything that we discover is a discovery about how God did it. Final growing up God. And this is a tricky one. This God uh, shows up in all sorts of different places and times. He sort of pops in and then pops back out. And it, he arrives in your consciousness at different times. This is the gap God. And I bet all of us are guilty of this one. The idea that messes us up and that we decide we're going to pass that along to the next generation, right? The gap God conveniently shows up as an explanation for everything we can't currently explain. Must be God. Uh, can't explain why or how that happened? Oh, that's God. There's your evidence of God. I'm driving to the mall, and I'm in a hurry. The place is packed. It's so busy, and a car pulls out right in front of me. Oh, that's a God thing. Maybe. But if we're not careful, our entire faith gets to rest on a God who shows up as an explanation for everything unexplainable. And ultimately, this undermines our faith in God. This does not build faith in God. It undermines faith in God. And here's why. The list of things that we can't explain is getting smaller. And that's good. And the list of things that we can explain is getting longer. And that's good. Don't you hope that science eventually is able to cure every disease? If you lost faith because of the gap God, I'm sorry about that. The gap God does not exist. Unexplainable today may be explainable tomorrow. So if your faith and if your confidence in God rests on unexplainable things, then it's just a matter of time until your faith disappears. Because hopefully more and more of the unexplainable things will become explainable. Christians need to be really careful with this because unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. Underline that part, okay? Star that because this one comes up all the time. Unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. 
unexplainable in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, unexplainable is evidence of our ignorance. Sam Harris, you remember he was one of the guys that we talked about last time, one of the atheists that we spoke about there. He's a great line. He says, we must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance because it's the frontiers of our ignorance where new things are discovered. You are for this. You are for this certainly when it comes to medicine and those scientific advances. And if you embrace the gap God, you undermine your own faith. The gap God does not exist. If everything were explained and explainable, it would not explain away God, which is the fear that people have. It's a fear that seems to permeate the church. We don't need to fear that. If, if everything we know that, that will, um, if we know everything, that will, that will not make us God. That was the idea. You know too much, you're going to be like God. Your understanding of how something is made does not remove your need for a creator. So if you totally understood everything about your mobile phone, right? You understand how the glass is made. You understand how the Wi-Fi works. And you understand how the aluminum was beautifully crafted. And you know every detail of that phone, how it was made and how it was formed, it would not convince you that it did not have a creator. This whole thing about mystery in the natural world, there always has to be mystery. We can't understand it. There needs to be mystery. Mystery is great. But sometimes that gets solved and figured out. And that in no way removes the place of a creator God. I don't know who told you that. That is not Christianity. And here is why. It's not the unexplainable that points to God. It is the explainable that points to God. It's the mundane. It's the taken for granted, but extraordinary regularity that points to God. If we really believe that God is the creator of the universe, that he created all time and space and matter, and we take seriously what science has told us, that it all began with a singularity, right? That is what the Big Bang is known as. The singularity unfurled the universe that continues to expand. And to introduce into reality the laws of physics, if we believe that it all began with a beginner, and in Genesis it says, when God was finished, he what? He rested. He quit creating. And if you believe all of that, what would you expect to find in the universe? A predictable, stable, explainable universe. It's important to remember that Christians launched the modern scientific movement. The reason Christians were able to launch the modern scientific movement is because Christians believed that God had stopped creating, that he was done. And because he was done, we can now observe it, that it would be regular, and it would be particular, and that there will be cause, and there would be effect. Before Christianity, there was no real point in studying or trying to explain the world because it was all at the whim of the gods. And who can explain them? They are also unpredictable. We don't need to be nervous about the unexplained. Our faith should not be resting on the unexplained. Our faith rests on what is explainable. The universe is exactly the way that we would predict it to be if God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. These are the gods 
of the No Testament. Bodyguard God, on-demand God, boyfriend God, guilt God, anti-science God, gap God. They don't exist. If you quit believing in any of these, regardless of what you called them, good for you. Thumbs up. Now, all of those gods that we looked at today, they are not reasons for or against anything. Those are just unmet expectations. And they stem from childhood explanations. Most of these are ill-informed or uneducated interpretations. And for some of them, they're just blatant manipulation. So here's the big question. Where did your view of the God that you struggled to believe in originate? Did your view of God ever grow up? Did your adult questions overwhelm your childhood God? Where did babies come from? It depends on who was asking, right? If a five-year-old asks, we answer one way. If a 16-year-old asks, we answer another way. If a person in medical school asks, we answer it another way. You never lie. We accommodate to the child's capacity. And there comes a time when from mummy's tummy is no longer enough. And here's the concern. Some of you still have a mummy's tummy God. And you've outgrown that God. But it's the only God you knew. And you decided, I don't believe it. I'm growing up and I'm moving on. To be clear, today is not an argument for the existence of God. That's not the point. But if you walked away from faith because you believed in one of those gods, you may have walked away unnecessarily. Because that God never, ever existed. It was a somebody told me so God. And nobody needs that God. Next week, a Bible tells me so Jesus. It's probably going to be disturbing. It's certainly going to be liberating. Don't miss next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for a place to talk about these things. Take what was said, please, and make it important. Change hearts the way only you can do. Help the folks who are trying to believe. Encourage and deepen the faith of those who are already trusting you and warm the hearts of those who cannot yet believe in you. Jesus, you understand the way that we are all experiencing this moment. So please help us where we are to get to where we need to go, one step at a time. Lord Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. I pray on behalf of all of us, help our unbelief. Not faith in faith, but faith in you, the creator God. Amen.